Lord, we thank you that as we spend time here this morning, you just speak to us, reveal your truths to us. Um, that, Lord, that you'll just touch hearts. I pray that we leave just with a sense of something you've spoken from your word or that comes even as I share that, Lord, that you'll just speak your truth through me. I pray that in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. And the truth is I forgot tithes and offerings. Can we give opportunity for those to get passed around and for us to bring our tithes and offerings before the Lord? That's great. Warwick, are we making you work on your last Sunday with us? Sure. It's good. Well, I came across an article. Today I'm wanting to speak on image, wanting to touch on image. And I came across an article about an actor who had the name Milton Lichtman. Have you heard of him? Milton Lichtman passed away 2009, 87 years old. And he was an incredibly well-known actor, although you wouldn't know his name. You most likely have seen him. They say that over the 30 years of acting, his claim to fame was appearing in numerous commercials, numerous movies, numerous radio broadcasts, and portraying historical figures. He acted as Fidel Castro, as Albert Einstein, as Abraham Lincoln, as Babe Ruth, as Hitler, Gandhi, Mozart, Sherlock, Scrooge, John Wayne, Thomas Jefferson, and even Margaret Thatcher. How can you pull off John Wayne and then Margaret Thatcher? That's quite a big, a big swing. But anyway, he, he had done all of those things. And when, when they, someone asked him how he was going, his response to them after portraying, I think it was over 3,300 different characters, his response was, I am alive and well and living in someone else's face. He was caught up being every image in a sense but his own. The New York Times magazine called him the man of a thousand faces. When Milton Lickman was asked, what does heaven look like for you? His response was this. Heaven for me is to lie in a bed, stark naked, with no costume, living in my own face and not someone else's, and to luxuriate in my own skin. Sounds like a Radox bath advert. But that's what he was sharing. He had been everybody else, but not himself. If you search his name, you'll see all these different pictures, different images. And, but it's hard to find out who he is in the midst of it. And so what I'm wanting to look at is the question today, when image matters. So often we're aware of the cars that are in the parking lot, the watches that we're wearing, the labels that are on our clothes. And we're told that those can be surface level which they can be if that's what we caught up with. But there is a time when image matters. And I want to ask you this, how image conscious are you? We live in a day and an age where the selfie is, the, is taking the social media world by storm. Politicians and musicians, they even had uh, Michelle Obama taking selfies of herself recently. Pope Francis took a selfie and got in on the fun. It's something that's really taken over. They said in Europe, they're saying the drinking well, particularly in the UK and in Britain, that the alcoholism has come down because the young people aren't drinking as much booze because they're concerned about the photos and what's going on to social media. Quite an interesting statistic. Doesn't seem too harmful, but they also brought out the statistic that in the last year, more people have died from taking selfies than from shark attacks. <laughs> I saw one guy taking a picture, taking a selfie with a shark in the background don't know if that was accurate. How image conscious are you? I'll get to the scripture in just a moment. I was in total sports and I've lost a bit of weight and I'm trying to get to the place where I'll be happy uh, or happier with what I see. And so I walked in there and they had a Superman and a Batman adult shirt. 
My son was wanting normal clothes. Dad was in there wanting the Superman and Batman shirt. So anyway, I grabbed these two and I headed off for the, um, for the changing room. But I know what I look like when I take selfies. That is not the picture I put up there. Jason, go back to my picture. <laughs> See, I tell you, I'm not like Alan. I don't exaggerate. I tell two true stories. That's how I look when I take a selfie. I didn't want to look like that, so I brought my son into the change room stall with me as I tried on this Batman and Superman shirt that if you see, you can't see it there, but it's got a painted six-pack into it. I took, got him to send those pictures straight away to my wife and to him, Togo and Jason. <laughs> so I'll get. He was terribly embarrassed. Here's his dad trying on Batman and Superman shirts, telling him to grab different sizes. And as I walk out there with him moaning and these two shirts in my hand, I walk into Francois. Is he here today? The shocks, one of the shark squad and flankers. He looks like that naturally. And so here I am holding a Superman, Batman shirt. My son's looking embarrassed. And I'm saying, I'll see you on Sunday next week. It was an interesting situation. But we see all these images. And it's amazing. We look at all these photos. And you can search your name probably. And you've got a Facebook pic or some pic that will come up when you search it. But, you know, when we look back in time, there weren't any of these photos, but it's fascinating to see. We can still see the image of those who have gone before. Maybe it's on a portrait. Maybe it's on a, um, on a coin. Maybe it's on a sculpture. I want to say that one of these coins with one of these images is what influenced Jesus to give one of his most profound teachings on what it means for us as human beings to be made in the image of God. Let me just take a look. This is the picture. That's Tiberius Caesar. And on it, you see his image on the coin, so we can kind of see his likeness, what he would have looked like. And around it and inscribed, it says, Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. We see his image, and there's an inscription. Keep that in mind as we read through this passage together. We're going to be reading from Matthew 22, verse 15 to 22. I've got the NRB version. We'll put it up on the screens. Before I do that, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to behave and I'm not going there. Verse 15. I'll get Jason back at another time. Um, let's start. Have we got that on the screen? Thank you, Jason. Then the Pharisees went out and lay, laid plans to trap him in his words. They're going out to trap Jesus. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity. And that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left him and went their way. Why were they amazed? Why were they stopped in their tracks? You know, I've often read through this, and particularly verse 21, as we've read that, and thought it had to do with tithing. You know, it was a, a giving financial scripture. 
But I, I, and let me say, I believe in tithing and I've seen and heard the testimonies of God's blessing as people honor him and step out in generosity and give with a cheerful heart. But I believe the scripture is so much more than just about tithing. And we see that by the impact of what takes place in those that are hearing what Jesus has said. And we'll see that in just a moment. But the Pharisees here, they're trying to, they're planning to trap him, to ensnare him, to entangle him. They're hoping that he's going to get himself so caught up in what he's saying that he's going to be executed. They're after him. They want to get him wiped out. They are, in effect, working with the Herodians. The Pharisees are working with the Herodians. The one were um, religiously orientated. The others were politically orientated. They didn't get on well. They were normally at each other's throats. But here, they've got a common enemy who's making great impact. And they're saying, we need to team up. We need to plan. We need to strategize because we need to take this guy out. And so they, they start to pick on a topic that's a hot topic. I mean, who here likes to... Uh, likes to pay taxes or to to argue over the reasonings for it or against it. Not many of us want to delve too deeply into that, especially in in South Africa currently. But in the Jews' day, it was even it even was more painful thing to discuss. They were living under the harsh, uh, repressive Roman regime. They were remembering the glory days of what they had before, and they longed for that to be restored. They deeply resented any person or any nation that would come to presume to exercise lordship over God or God's people. And so they were in this place of deep hatred towards the Roman Empire. And so they they were hoping that this Messiah wouldn't just come and bring spirituality to them, but they were hoping he would bring military might and political know-how and that he would be able to overturn this Roman Empire that is now lording it over them. And so they come, these people, with this trap, and it's a particularly good one. And they say to Jesus, in the midst of all the people gathered around him, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They're wondering, is Jesus going to, everyone listening, is Jesus going to have the audacity and the courage to speak out against the Roman Empire, or is he just going to settle back and go with the status quo? So they're setting up this trap, and he, they, they know that if he starts to condemn taxation, that he's signing his own death warrant, then he's going to be wiped out. But they also know that if he doesn't condemn it, then he's going to lose all the influence that he has over those that are following him, the influence that they so desperately and deeply desire for themselves. And so they lay this trap. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They come in with flattery. How much, how do you know, I mean, how many of you know the enemy comes in with flattery? He comes in, he tries to sweet talk and and, uh, sidle up to you and whisper sweet, seemingly nothings in your ear. And this is what happens here. They say, teacher, but they don't know the truth of what they're speaking. Teacher, we know that you are true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. They didn't know what they were saying, even though they were using that as flattery. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, man's opinion, or regard any person. They're saying how he regards only God. It's all true what they're saying, but they're trying to flatter him. He sees their hearts. He knows the game that they're playing. And Jesus responds, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? And then he says to them, bring me a coin. Whose image is on this coin? And whose inscription? And they respond and they say, Caesar's. And this is the part that really catches them because Jesus caught in this trap only two ways to turn 
turns a third way. It's amazing. And the way he answers, there's a deeper statement being made that we're going to get to in a moment. But he says this. Give to, this is where we normally, well, at least me, have looked at it from the perspective of tithing. And let me say, I'm not saying it's not that, but there's so much more. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And there are two reasons that I see that being more than just tithing. The first thing is this. It says that the the disciples, the Pharisees, the Herodians, they were astonished. It says they were silent. They would have expected him to say something about tithing. But here, when we see him speaking, they were the Pharisees of all people were good tithers. They loved to make a show of it. But here in his response, they are astonished. They don't know what to say. It's not what they expected. So there's something more being communicated. And secondly, as he says that, take this coin and give to Caesar what is Caesar's, wasn't only 90% of the coins that had the image on, it was every coin that had the image of Caesar. So what then do we give to God? If we're going to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, what do we give to God? Really what's being said here by Jesus is you cannot represent God on a coin. You cannot represent God on just a man-made thing. There's more to it than that. And we see there's no dispute that comes with them in terms of what Jesus has responded. But here is the question. Here's what he's saying underneath the statement that he makes to them. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to, God's, give to God what is God's. And have ears to hear. He says, whose image do you bear? Whose inscription is upon you? Who has stamped his name on your life and inscribed his laws upon your heart? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And every good Pharisee and Herodian and disciple would have known in Genesis 1 that it says that we are created in the image of God. Yes, there was the fall with Adam. That took place in Genesis 3. But in Genesis 9, we see that we are still referred to in the image of God. We know that there's been a um, a, a defacing in a sense, and we still have the form of that, not the substance, the spirituality which we needed restored. But we are still made in the image of God. So he's asking this question, whose image do you bear? Whose inscription is on your life? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, the thing that he has stamped with his image and his inscription. But give to God what is God, the things that he has stamped with his image and his inscription. It says in Revelations, Genesis says we are created in his image. Revelation says he writes his name upon us as people. And so there's this beautiful statement coming out. In the trap comes out the truth. You know, with Jesus, you could never trap him. He is the truth. You try to trap him, out comes the truth, and you're the one that lands up silent, astonished, not knowing what to say. And so they're in this place, but it still doesn't grip them. In the commentaries, if you go to Matthew Henry's commentary on this, this is what it says about this moment when they were amazed and they kept silent. It says, Christ is and will be the wonder not only of his friends, but also of his enemies. They admire his wisdom, but will not be guided by it. They admire his power, but will not submit to it. Let that not be us. Let us be astonished and let's be in wonder of him. Let's admire his wisdom and be guided by him. Let's be caught up with the power and the might and the wonder of who he is and allow him to work it in us and through us as we submit to it. So we see him saying this to the Pharisees, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. They are stunned. They are quiet. He's saying, really, you need to give your very selves. And it's followed on in James, if you read James 3 verse 9, when, and, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but when in that passage it says of Jesus speaking, 
to, and he's addressing the Pharisees, that they worship God and they praise God with their mouths, and yet in the same breath they turn and they curse a fellow man. He's saying, how can you worship God, declare the wonder of him and his purposes and all that he is, and then you step out, get in your car, a taxi cuts you off, and you curse that man? Because you're cursing something that God has created in his own image. Be they fallen or not, be they restored or not, to the fullness of the image which Christ comes and works in, and into us and with us. We'll see that later. But the question there that I want to ask, and I want you to read it because I want us to catch it, and simply this, I'm not doing any more points than this, is whose image do you bear? Because the one whose image you bear is the one to whom you belong. Take a moment just to read that question to yourself and think about it. Milton Lichner, that man that we spoke about, he was a man of a thousand faces. He was trying to pick up every image. So often we get like that. We get impressed with people's reputations and their fame and their status and their position and all that's going across. And we want that image and that image and that image and that image. Whose image do you bear? Whose inscription is upon your heart? Because I want to say that we can run around trying to be this and that. We will wear ourselves out. We will tire ourselves out. But there's one image that we are called to bear. And it's actually in pursuing the image that we are called to bear that we come into a place of fruitfulness and a place of wholeness and a place of a strength and a place of comfort. And that's when we realize what we're destined for. Romans 8.29 says this, For those that God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness, that is the image, of his son, that we've been destined, that we would be conformed to the likeness, to the image of his son. That is the image that we are called to be. And the good news is this, whether we are in the marred image of Adam, the fallen image, or whether we are in the renewed, restored image of Jesus, there's nothing you can do to work. There's no effort that you can bring, no striving you can bring to get there. You just need to identify either with the old or with the new. And as you identify with the new who Jesus is and what he's done, you receive by faith the working of his grace in your life, which restores you to the fullness of the fullness of the image of God. Nothing missing. Because even before Christ, we are in the form of the image of God. But with Christ, we get restored. We have his grace come and work in us that realigns us that we can be in the fullness. So that is the challenge that comes even as we read this. Because so often, and the default is that we are in the old Adam. So often when we think of ourselves, we think, well, I'm just a human being, you know. I'm trying hard, but nobody's perfect. I'm falling short. But that's when we think of ourselves in our identity in Adam. When we think of ourselves in our identity in Christ, we would know, I am a child. I've become a son or daughter of the living God. In his word, it says we have the right to be called sons and daughters. We are a new creation. We are in relationship with God because we have become the righteousness of God, meaning in right standing in relationship with him in Christ. That's what Jesus has done for us. That's what he restores for us. And so we look around and as we see us here, we've been created in the image of God. What does that mean? What does the image mean? It means to image something, means to display something, to present something, to reflect something. You look at sculptures, and why do you put a sculpture in the middle of the marketplace that everyone will come and see it? If you remember um, Rocky Balboa with him at the top of the stairs, something like that, and uh, a little bit more muscular, except when I'm wearing my Batman or Superman shirt. There's something that, in that display, you're wanting to catch something of the strength and the, and the, 
the poise of the man and the stature of the man, and you're wanting to capture through that image something of, of who it's representing. And in the same way, why would God create 7 billion people and place them around the earth in His image? Because His desire is that we would be able to notice something, catch something, see something, that we would be able to see something reflected or communicated about who He is, how great He is, how good He is, how loving He is, His character and His nature, that we would begin to see the image of the living God portrayed through His people. And I want to give a picture of that. Jason, if you'll come up. I'm going to need you to come and stand here and take off your shirt. And Brent to come stand here and take off your shirt. (laughs) That's not my... Jason, look in the mirror. What do you see? Perfection. (laughs) Remember at Kersney, I arrived the first night. Mom... You dropped me at Kersney. They took me into a little side room, made me look in a mirror like this. What do you see? And every answer I gave was wrong until until I said nothing. You put me there, Mom. But it turned me into the fine gentleman I am today. What was the picture with the mirror again? Okay, let me think about it. The mirror. So if you're wanting to look, we are in the image of God. What does that mean? So I said, you know, we are, we've all been created in the image. Even after the fall, we're still in the image of God. We're in the form, but there's not always the substance. When we are in right relationship with God, we are created to represent Him and reflect Him. It's like a mirror that's at 45 degrees catching the glory of God as He shines on us. It not only fills us, but it's reflected and shines wherever it does. Is it shining in your eyes? Shine it in some people's eyes, Jason. There we go. That's there. Make it a bit lower. Can you see the light? Okay, great. And then uh, what happens in the midst of that is the enemy comes. It's when Satan comes and he tries to persuade us. He tries to say, you know what, George? Why are you trying to capture the, the image of God? Have you not seen those pictures, the Batman and Superman suit? You, you are quite great in yourself. And he turns... And he brings this bent that I turn my attention off the glory of God. And I start to focus on, as the light shines, this mirror casts a shadow of itself. And I start to get caught up in self. I start to get caught up in me. I start to get caught up in my own desires. And I lose connection with an awareness of who God is. And I'm in a place of lostness and a place of abandonment. But when salvation comes, Jesus comes and he takes the form of being made in the image of God. And he brings a restoration to that. He brings a renewing. He brings an alignment back. He brings right relationship, right standing with the living God back. So once again, I can... Behold the glory of God. Once again, it shines on me and removes all vestiges of the fall, all dust and and, uh, whatever else was covering me, and that once again I can reflect His glory, and others can see how good He is. That's what God does through salvation. And so the question that I want to ask as we've been challenged is whose image are you bearing? Are you caught up carrying this world's image? Are you caught up with your own image? Are you standing in the grace and in the righteousness that is yours in Christ Jesus, beholding the glory of God, so that you might not only be filled, but that you might be resplendent and reflecting His glory, shining it forth wherever you go? How are you standing right now? Because when you get to that place, and this is a mirror from uh, my son's bathroom. We heard in the first service how, how Walter, when he was... You can't put it down. Just hold it strong. eh? Walter, when he was uh, at the camp, how he 
um, Patrick was saying that they shared a little an area, and Walter would shower every morning, and he'd be singing and stepping how good God was, and, and he would be declaring that, I want that to be us. I want us, as you wake up in the morning, be it the shower, be it the bathroom, that as you look in the mirror, there's something that speaks to you that says, Lord, I want to be living in that right relationship where I'm beholding your glory and where I'm shining it forth. And we're not in that place where, oh, I'm just this, or I'm just human, or I'm just this. But you're realizing, I have been created to carry the image and inscription of God. When you realize that He has called you to represent Him and multiply His character and His influence into the world where He's placed us, as it says in Genesis verse 1. And that as you go out and you see the face, thanks, Joseph. And you see the faces of all that are gathered around and not to get caught up in who they are and who they aren't or what they've done or what they haven't done or have they met Jesus yet or have they not. Just realize whose image they've been created in. And maybe it's your responsibility to introduce them to the wonder of knowing who Jesus is so that they too can live and move and have their being in the glory of God and representing the glory of God. But don't get caught up with them. Get caught up with yourself. Whose image are you bearing? whose inscription is written upon your life. I want to pray for us at that point. Lord, I just thank you that we can gather as your people here. Lord, I pray that where there might be some of us who, who don't know you yet and don't have that relationship, I pray that, Lord, you would be doing something in hearts where we would realize we don't want to be a man of a thousand faces. We don't want to be caught up with selfies and our own self-image. But we want to be those that through all that you have done, Lord Jesus, by shedding your blood and just pouring out your grace upon us, that we might know what it means to be sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we could stand in right standing and, and be able to behold your glory. And not only be able to behold your glory, but to be those that be able to reflect it wherever we go, that others can encounter your influence and your character and your goodness. I pray, Lord, that you would just minister that to hearts. I pray where people haven't made that commitment, that you would prompt them to that. And if you haven't, I want to invite you to come and speak to me after the service because I'd love to pray for you. But if you have made that commitment, I want to remind you of who you are, of whose image you are created in and whose inscription is upon you. Genesis says you've been created in the image of God. Revelations 22, I think it is, says that he has inscribed his name upon you. But not only has he done that, but he's inscribed your name upon the palm of his hands. Lord, I just thank you for that, that you would charge us up, fire us up, send us out. Lord, let us be an impact for you, not about just gathering here on Sundays, but seeing lives and marriages and husbands and wives and families and grandfathers and grandkids and grandmothers and all that's included in that. Touched by your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.